Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful time and day to be together. And uh, if you're visiting in town, welcome. Uh, so thrilled to have you. If you've been over at the races, uh, I'm gonna, you're, you're going to be the one tilting your head trying to hear me um, from all the noise. From uh, We're about five miles away, and it like... We feel it. So uh, glad to have you here today. Uh, Just to kind of put things in place for everybody, uh, the first half of this year we spent together going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we talked about how the Lord Jesus was turning lives inside out and upside down was the name of that series. And we're kind of continuing the story, and now when we're in the second half of the book of Acts this year, and, or end of this year, and we're really watching the Spirit of God at work turning the world inside, up, inside and upside down for uh, the Lord's glory in it all. And last month, uh, we followed Paul and Barnabas through Acts 13 and 14, and we saw them uh, really on their first ministry go trip, we might say, that they had uh, taking the gospel outside uh, of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and now they're headed to the ends of the earth. And uh, in that time, over the last month, I was seeking to lay out four two to three word statements for us that I really want to kind of be groundwork statements for us as we move through here. And those four statements are the first one was abiding in Christ. That's something that has been big around here as a church for the last almost two years now. And I want to keep that before us, abiding in Christ. Uh, The Lord says, abide in me and I in you. It's that idea of John 15, the, the, the branch is grafted into the trunk and it's where that connection, it's right where that happens. That's where the abiding is taking place, the, 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 the connection, the strength, the drilling in, and the life uh, growing off of who Christ is in all that, and the abiding. And then the second term is to our world. Uh, that's out of that abiding, the rest begins to happen. It's not only what God's doing in us, but as God is doing a work in us, the work of God begins, if you will, radiating out of us. It begins having impact on those around us and, and those in our families and those in our communities and our friends and our co-workers. And so it's something in us, but it's something out of us. Those, I might say, are two action words. The next two words out of these, or the next two statements out of these, are kind of mindsets. And the one is spirit-dependent. Uh, we are spirit-dependent people, not by my strength, not by our strength, but by God's work in us. Uh, Spirit of God, we sang that first song this morning particularly, Spirit of God, your presence doing a work in us. We are unable without you at work and a spirit-dependent. And then last Sunday, we let set the mindset as Paul and Barnabas made mention of their trip to the Gentiles, of God opening doors of faith. As we go to our world and our families and with our friends and our community, coworkers, it's this idea of we plant, we water, but God is the one who gives the growth. 
we can uh, you know, go into people's lives and, and turn door handles, if you will. But only God is the one who can unlock those, and that's with them. And so we plant, we water, God gives the growth on it. And what I want to begin now from here on out through the rest of the series uh, up in through the middle of December is I want for us to begin putting some meat on those bones, okay? Because if we're to be abiding in Christ to the world, uh, spirit-minded, uh, spirit-dependent, doors-of-faith-thinking people, then there are some things, some practical things that should be showing and, and, and growing in us uh, in order to do that. And for instance, today, uh, to be that, we need to be a strengthened and encouraged people. Strengthened and encouraged people. By the way, strengthened and encouraged people are abiding in Christ people who also strengthen and encourage others to our world. And so those things are taking place with us. Uh, some others are a people advancing or a people uh, reasoning with, a people fearing less, a people competent in the scriptures, a people living boldly, a people living among. By the way, those are sermon titles for the next two months. That's where we're going to be going with this, building some bones on kind of these four two to three word statements. These are attributes uh, that we want to build in us. Uh, along with that, since I'm kind of noting what's coming, uh, let me just note for you this. I'm grateful for uh, Pastor Nick and Chris and Robbie. Uh, they're going to be taking and, and preaching here in these coming three Sundays as Karen and I have an opportunity to have some rest time. Um, I'll be back for a couple Sundays, then October 13th. Uh, John Kelly is going to be here. John's just a special guy, special friend from Chicago Westside uh, Church, Bible Church, and he's going to be here, um, and you'll want to be here to hear John. Just a uh, special, special individual. Love him. Um, by the way, so grateful for those who have just come in kind of special guest preachers here this year. Dr. Charles Ware from in, here in Indianapolis and Scott Hamilton from Harvest in Glasgow, Scotland. And then we had uh, Miche from... Uh, Georgetown, St. Vincent Island, by the way, uh, they're fine with the hurricane that was north of them, so they got a lot of rain and a lot of water, or a lot of uh, wind, but they're doing well uh, with that. And then John's going to be here, and I just want for you to know that. And after John, I'll be picking up the series, taking it through uh, the rest in December. Well, we're in Acts 15, so if you have your Bibles, please open to Acts chapter 15, and we're in a text where some sparks are flying, and some sparks are flying between God's people. Yes, I said that correctly. Some sparks are flying between God's people with what's taking place here. There's some conflict going on. There's some heat going on. And that's what happens when iron sharpens iron, by the way. When iron sharpens iron, some sparks fly, some heat is generated out of that. And I'll just tell you, I love the honesty of the Bible that it tells us about these kinds of things uh, with what's going on, and ultimately out of it, uh, we're gonna see some uh, strengthening and some encouragement that's happening in them that I believe carries over into us as well. We really have kind of two main sections here. One is a ministry theology sparks. There's some sparks about some ministry theology that's going on between two great churches, and then there's some ministry uh, pragmatic sparks that are flying between two great ministry leaders. We're gonna spend the vast majority of our time on the first part of that. Uh, the end on it, we'll certainly be touching it, but it'll kind of be a run through that. Uh, know this, as we work our way through this chapter, it's not so much about the sparks and the heat that's flying, it's about what comes out of that. 
Uh, we're going to see this theme here that there's strengthening encouragement that comes out of it. In fact, if you will, you can take a peek over at the end of chapter 14, and we find in there that as Paul talks in verse 22, Paul talks and Barnabas talk about their whole ministry, they were encouraging and strengthening people. We see that theme going. You go to chapter 16, uh, verse 5, that now they're going out on their second ministry go trip, and they are strengthening people in the faith who, faith who are growing in numbers, and encouragement is happening there. And now we're going to see it stated a number of times in chapter 15. So this idea of strengthened and encouraged is a theme. It's a purposed thing that's taking place in the text, and I want for us to see it today. Strengthened and encouraged people strengthen and encourage people. Okay, so let's take a look at it first. When sparks fly between two great local churches, it's a ministry theology sparks. Let me read verses one through five. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. And they were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through uh, both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. And when they had when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. What's going on here? Well, let's set the stage. First, it's about 50 AD. That means it's about 20 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. About how many years? 20 years. Not one year after, not two years after, not five years after. 20 years, 20 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. That's two, how many decades? That's a lot of time. Would you not think that after 20 years, God's people, including like the apostles, Paul Barnabas, and all those other disciples around them, would get it by now? Hey, there's some encouragement in this. They aren't getting it. Uh, hang on, we'll see what's going on. So how many years? 20 years. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, I'm just going to say round numbers on all this stuff. It's about a year after they've come back from their first ministry trip. Um, these are two high-impact, high-powered local churches. You've got this church over in Jerusalem. I mean, it is the mothership, okay? Uh, that's biblical. <laughs> it, it is the mothership. It's where everything got started and everything's coming out. Then you come over here and you have the church in Antioch, Syria, and, and this is a high-powered church over here in Jerusalem. They have the apostles, the apostles, over here. Over here you have an Antioch, it sounds like a WWF fight about to start. And so over here you have a Paul and Barnabas and the three other individuals, high-powered caliber individuals who are teaching God's people there. This is the church that is sending them to the world. 
And we have some heat going on, some dissension that's taking place. And verse 1 tells us that some men come down from Judea. And uh, by the way, coming down, it's altitude, most likely, is what it's referring to. We kind of go up as north. Uh, But they're coming down. And in this, one of the questions I still haven't quite resolved, some think that they came down into Jerusalem and had this conversation. Others think they came to Antioch and had the conversation. I lean towards the latter, that they came to Antioch, just the way the conversation is, because it even talks about Paul and Barnabas having a debate, dissension with them in that. But either way, what's happening is there are some of these individuals are coming down and they're teaching this thing that essentially is this. You have to become a Hebrew before you can become a Christian. You have to become a Jew before you can be a follower of Christ. That's kind of at the cut to the chase at the bottom line of it. You have to follow the Mosaic law before you can follow Christ. Both go together. Some would say it's Jesus plus. I actually think what they're saying is, no, it's Moses plus. It's really what it was plus Jesus in what's going on here. But, but this is what's taking place. We see in verse 2, uh, Paul and Barnabas get wind of this whole teaching. They think they're possibly involved in what's going on, and they see it as a serious problem. Here's why. Because we believe, this church, and Paul and Barnabas believed what Scripture says, and it's this. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You cannot save yourself by your works. And by the way, if you're one who is thinking that somehow you can, I just want to lovingly say to you, you're in trouble. It's a horrible, you never know. You never know. Along with that, it's like, yeah, but I'm 51% better than, yeah, but you're still 49% sin in your own category. And we know from scripture that God cannot tolerate sin. And so that sin needs to be taken care of. And it's not by works, it's by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that's the matter on the table. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas are taking a look at this. This is a pen theology issue, not a pencil theology issue. And it's a heresy issue. And so Paul and Barnabas, and the text tells us in verse 2, as well as some others from Antioch, Syria, are appointed to go up to, again in these altitude, to Jerusalem uh, with, to address this. This is like a 250 to 300 mile trip. Okay, they didn't get on the red bus line to do this. They, they, they didn't get on their car to do this. They didn't get on the train to do this. They like walked. That's a long ways. I'm telling you, people were studs back then with what's going on. So they, them and their little entourage, they take this trip down to verse 3. Uh, on their way, by the way, they pass through Phoenicia, Samaria. It's all north of Jerusalem. And we see in verse 3 that they're telling in detail what God has been doing in the Gentiles on their first ministry trip. And what do you note in there is happening? The people are thrilled by it. They are joy from it. They are encouraged by it. I think it's just brainiac that Luke includes this in before he goes into Jerusalem where some hubbub's taking place because here God's people are hearing it and they're rejoicing in it. Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. By the way, Biblical joy brings strength. And biblical joy brings encouragement. 
So we could say what Paul and Barnabas are doing is as they're going on down, they're just not like hightailing it to get there. They are having conversations with God's people and they are strengthening, encouraging them there. I'm telling you, the DNA of Paul and Barnabas is to strengthen and encourage people because to them, it's not just about getting people to convert to Christ. It's about raising disciples for Christ that are strengthened in Christ and encouraged in Christ. And we see it even on their way to Jerusalem. Verse 4, they arrive in Jerusalem. I love it. They're welcomed by the church there, the mothership, including the apostles and the elders there. But then we see in verse 5, some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. By the way, Paul knew the Pharisees. Philippians chapter 3, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew how these guys thought. He had their exact background. He had their historical DNA and what was kind of going on and what they had been raised with. And they rose up and they said this basic idea, no, it's uh, Jesus plus. It's Moses plus Jesus with what's going on. So verse six, let's pick up. The apostles, the elders, were gathered together in Jerusalem to consider the matter. They're having a meeting. Verse seven, and after there had been much Debate. By the way, the idea of the Greek word that uh, relates to what's being said there is it means that they had much debate. Okay? It's, it's not that they had some light little conversation over, you know, Oreos or something and milk. Uh, I mean, this was one of these things that there's a debate going on. Here's the thing there's some heat in the room. Okay? That's kind of the sense of the idea. Uh, They aren't just talking about something that everybody's on the same page. That wouldn't be a debate. They're talking about something that there are kind of varying views on with it. And there's much debate going on. Man, I wish they had video of that whole meeting. That would really be cool to see. But then take a look. Peter stood up. By the way, how many years has it been since the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Christ? And Peter's still at it. You know, it's one of those things where we look at Peter and we go, dude, you know, man, you, you bailed on Christ and yet you're, you're just always flapping your lips in a strong kind of way. And man, I love Peter. I love Peter. Because when no one else wants to stand, even as awkward as he is, he does. And by the way, here he is still a pillar in the church. What a story he is. Peter stood up and he said to them, brothers. By the way, notice he says brothers, not you annoying ones. And it's just there's some... The little words matter. Brothers, you know, you think, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. I mean, that's going all the way to Acts 2, following Acts 2, when God just reveals to Peter the whole uh, dream of, uh, it's Peter, it's more than you, it's the Gentiles as well. Verse 8, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them, Gentiles, the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. None. And having cleansed their hearts by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Listen, Peter's going all the way to the Old Testament and the Mosaic Old Testament because that was in the debate. 
Mosaic first, then Jesus. And he's going back. Listen, that, that whole thing back then, God was, uh, on the big picture of it, God was putting that in place to raise up a nation that looked like and did life like unlike any other barbarian nations on the earth. The whole mosaic thing was the structure of people to be doing life together in a way that was unlike the world. And by the way, the law was also structured in there to help people understand that you cannot earn your way to salvation. No one is able to fulfill the law. And there's a burden in the law, but part of the burden is to show that even Old Testament saints, Hebrews chapter 11, are saved by grace through faith in the coming Messiah alone. Okay? And he's referring back to there and like, don't go back into your thinking because they always went into this works-oriented mode. Don't think that. That's a burden we couldn't bear, verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Preach it, dude. Preach it, Peter. You get picked on so often. I love you, man. He's a good guy. Here's this key influential leader. He stands up. He pulls it all together. And look at verse 12. I love this. And all the assembly fell silent. Isn't that cool? I mean, how many times maybe you've been in meetings at work or maybe at church where it's like, no one wants to be silent. <laughs> Everybody wants to speak. And yet here Peter stands up and it's just hush. I think there's some sense out of this that everyone's still trying to process it. I, I think they're maybe not fully in agreement holistically on the whole full consensus, but they just got silenced right there by Peter. And then, by the way, what a perfect time. And then they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And it's interesting, Paul and Barnabas aren't mentioned at the meeting until right now. And I think actually this whole meeting is taking place with, with all these leaders and then in it all of a sudden Paul and Barnabas, as it's silent, it's like, Spirit of God, this is the time. Now that you're sitting here and thinking that it's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone for everyone, let me tell you what God's been doing among the Gentiles. And so they do. And I don't think it was a two-minute plan part of the meeting notes. I don't know how long it took but I know this, they told what God had done on their first ministry trip. And what a perfect timing in telling that. I think they finally had full ears to hear. And then verse 15, after they finished speaking, James replied. Uh, James, by the way, James is the half-brother of Jesus. James is the one who writes the uh, epistle of James. James is also noted as a, a pillar, uh, one of the key leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And I love this. Someone brings it to conclusion and do an action here. James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, by the way, Amos 9, after this, I will return, and by the way, how cool is it that in a New Testament conversation, he's bringing the Old Testament into it? Hey, friends, the Old Testament matters. There's an ongoing movement of story that's taking place in this. And by the way, we also have an Old Testament survey class coming up and an Old Testament, this Old Testament matters in Saturday form coming up. And let's keep going in the text. 
Old Testament, Amos 9, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. He goes on saying this quote from Amos, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. All the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, can we all agree it's by salvation, by faith, through, uh, by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Can we all agree on that? It's kind of like a meeting moment. That's number one. And also, but we should write a letter to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled from blood. Uh, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. By the way, I'm gonna explain that in just a moment here as we go into the next verses that tell us what the letter says. But let me note this, this Old Testament statement that's being told here. Note in it, it says that God in the Old Testament is saying, I will return, I will rebuild, I will rebuild, I will restore it. He includes this text. Well, let me just kind of uh, read a quote from John Stott, someone smarter than myself, on what he says on this text. He says, God promises to restore David's fallen tent and rebuild its ruins, which Christian eyes see as a prophecy of the resurrection and exaltation of Christ, the seed of David and the establishment of his people. So that secondly, a Gentile remnant will seek the Lord. Stott goes on and says, in other words, through the Davidic Christ, Gentiles will be included in this new community. Here's the point. It's always been about all people coming to know Christ as Lord. That's what God's desire has always been. It was that way in the Old Testament, Exodus, where even at Mount Sinai, God wants his people to establish a nation to become priests to the world so that the whole world can come and know Yahweh and worship him. And here it's being carried on. So James drives this meeting to, to two conclusions, to reject the proposed theology that is by works as well, and to write a letter. I'm going to make mention of this letter here. Let's just keep reading. Then, verse 22, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. Here's the letter. The brothers both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are Gentiles, who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. By the way, how cool is it? The mothership has a letter for you. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words that unsettle your minds, although we gave them no instructions. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, what a commendation to Paul and Barnabas from the mothership. Verse 27, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. In other words, we have this letter, but we're sending you some guys who are at the meeting who can fill in all the gaps. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. By the way, that's a spirit-dependent people. 
to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Let me note something here. What they are not doing is they are not saying it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. By the way, there are some things you must do. Okay, that's a works-oriented sense. What's happening here is this letter is profound. Here you have over in Jerusalem these Hebrews, these Jews who have had this Old Testament and for years and years really bad theology built out of that, thinking that it's by works. They are in this letter saying that is not correct theology. It is salvation by grace alone through in Christ alone. You know what I'm saying. And they're stating that. They are stating we are admitting this. We have a past, and it's important for us to state this. It is by Christ alone. By the way, that's what we're working on. By the way, we want to mention something to you because you have a past. And your past is girded in secular uh, worship that has the kind of thing that includes the very things that they say. And in your past, these things in your worship practices often contain these things, and we want for you to grow, realizing your past, and stay away, abstain from those kinds of things, and when it comes to worship. Oh, by the way, this was a loving thing to them, and them doing that is a loving thing to them. It is the coolest thing in what's happening here. We're growing and changing we want you to grow and change, and we want to function together in the kind of a way that we're helping each other. That's what all this is about. That out of the heat of it, they are making each other stronger and encouraged. And why do I say that? Because look next, verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remaining in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. I love this. Here's what's going on. Two churches have a heat issue come up. And they address it. And out of it, what takes place? They're strengthened. And they're encouraged. The church in Jerusalem is strengthened in their theology. By the way, the theology of uh, uh, salvation by grace alone, through, by grace alone uh, through faith alone and Christ alone, sorry, that theology works itself out in how you minister to people, right? And so their ministry theology is strengthened and encouraged in it, and they are ministering that way. By the way, the people in Antioch, Syria, living in Gentile territory, who have grown up in this secular world with all kinds of freaky worship stuff going on, with blood, with, with, with uh, 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 sexual things taking place and the whole worship of what takes place in their culture of it, they're like, listen, you need to grow in understanding those are not the kind of things that take place in this. 
And they're strengthened, and they're encouraged in it. You have two churches who have an issue, and they're strengthened and encouraged in it. Goodness sakes, when does that happen? Because this is people who are not afraid of heat, or are not afraid of a debate, but work through it biblically together, and lovingly, taking it to Scripture, and work it all out. I gotta tell you, this is so encouraging to me. And I say that because here you have two high impact, might I say in modern day terms, kind of high impact, high powered churches with leaders that are apostles, with leaders that are Paul and Barnabas, and they're figuring some things out. I gotta tell you as a pastor, that gives me massive hope. Because this church is about 20 years old. This church over here is about seven, eight years old. We're a church that's about 11 years old. And we're trying to figure it out. Hey, 11 years old, olders, I, I, I want you to know right now, I love you to death, but I'm going to make a comment, and it's this. Life at 11 years old is awkward isn't it? I mean, those who have been through it, it's like we look back and you just go, oh, cheapers. Is there any way we can erase that time in my life? And, and I'm just going to say it. Here we are. We're an 11-year-old church. And there are some things around here we do really, really well. And there are some things around here we don't do well. We're an 11-year-old awkward. Uh, that's the fact of the matter. I mean, at 11 years old, we're working on some present strategic ministry planning and some organizational planning, some financial planning, some leadership planning. At 11 years old, we're, we're working on a name change. By the way, we're, we're getting there. Got it down to some close ones. We're doing some artwork from here. See what comes out of that. We're close. At 11 years old, last month versus the year before, Last month, we had 262 people, about more last month than the year before August. 262 people. Okay, so we did, went to three services, so let's say there's about 100, maybe 125 that are like dual counts because of all that kind of stuff. That's 150 more people you're coming here at this church. That's an entire another church. And here we are trying to figure it out. And we're just 11 years old. And sometimes we're really awkward. And here are these two local churches. And they're working it out. That is so encouraging. They're being strengthened in their ministry theology. They're being strengthened in their ministry pragmatics. By the way, they're being strengthened in their unity and respect for one another. You don't see anywhere in here where there's ministry trash talk going on. You don't see chewing each other up going on in here. You don't see unbiblical disagreements taking place with one another on here. Listen, there can be differing views on things, and people can do it respectfully and united. And they are. They're strengthened in their encouragement. Listen, strengthened people are encouraged people. Strengthened people are encouraged people. It doesn't mean life is easier. 
But when we're strengthened, there's encouragement that comes along with it. And strengthened and encouraged people can strengthen and encourage others. And that's what's happening here. I love this. I told you we'd just have a few minutes on the two great ministry leaders, and we're spot on. When sparks fly between two great ministry leaders, let me read the last verses of the chapter. Verse 36. And after some days, I don't know how many days, but some days, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers and sisters in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. I love that. These dudes, you cannot get them away from not thinking, how can we strengthen and encourage God's people? You can't get them away from that. Verse 37, now Barnabas, who's the encourager, who's the give second, people second chance or guy, now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. We talked about that earlier in chapter 13. So they separated, I'm sorry, verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement. By the way, in the Greek, it means a sharp disagreement. Okay, it really, it's not like they just had a conversation. Both of these conversations started out with some heat and some sparks, I'm telling you. And the words in the language tell that to be the case. And here you have this, where in this, there is this sharp disagreement. By the way, it's Paul and Barnabas. Godly men have a sharp disagreement. Note in the text something, though, I think is really important uh, in this. So, uh, verse 39, so that they separated from each other. By the way, sometimes disagreements, this is a ministry pragmatic thing, not a ministry theology thing. And sometimes those can lead to, to separation. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. Silas had come up from Jerusalem and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. By the way, did you see that comment? Having been commended by the church. Um, This church in Antioch, Syria, had commended Paul and Barnabas to their first ministry trip. And now they're commending them both off. I don't think this is in the verses uh, 39 to 41 is all one sentence in the Greek, so it's kind of pulling it all together can be a little bit tricky. But in this, I don't think this is they are commending Paul and Silas. They're commending both teams. And friends, everything that we know about the leaders and the people in the church in Antioch, they would not send them out and give them, send them out and the commending of God's work upon them if there was a sinful problem still going on between the two of them. I think what is happening here is you actually have two, two ministry leaders who have differing views on whether John should go along. Paul is a little bit more the, 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 the hard, and I don't mean that wrong, but it's like, listen, he bailed on us. We can't, I can't afford this again. And Barnabas is kind of like, you know, kind of maybe under his breath. He's my cousin, but he's an encourager. He's the son of encouragement. And it's like, he's all about bringing on, giving people a second chance. I don't think it's that either one of them are wrong. Because in the text, Luke does not name one as wrong and one as right. Actually, what's going on? They had a disagreement on this. I actually think Paul and Silas went out and strengthened and encouraged with the blessing of the church. And Barnabas and, and, and John Mark went out, strengthened and encouraged, and having the blessing of the church behind them. And what does God do? Even in a disagreement now, as opposed to one ministry team going out, they have how many? Two of them going out to the world. Two And in this whole thing, sometimes disagreements take place. 
but we deal with them rightly. We deal with them biblically. We deal with them lovingly. And here in this, I actually think this is the tone of what's taking place is two ministry teams are going out into the, to take the gospel to the world rather than one. By the way, look at chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. We'll finish here. It says that as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. You know that letter? They took it, essentially, they took the message of that letter to the believers in Turkey and Cyprus and around, letting them know it is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, know that. That letter carried on beyond Antioch. It's now that letter of the, from the mothership is now carrying on, that theology is carrying on to all of God's people all around. So cool. Look at verse five as well. So the churches, as a result of it, were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers. Could we say they were strengthened and encouraged? Friends, disagreements are not wrong. Heat and conflict in itself is not wrong. It's how we deal with it. James chapter four, why are there fights and quarrels among you? Is it not because of what wars within your soul? James four is addressing sinful conflict. This is between uh, couples, this is between families, this is between anybody. No, I want what I want and I'm gonna fight for it. That's sinful, okay? We don't have that. We have people who have some situations come up and they're working it out. And God is using that to strengthen them and encourage them. No one likes heat. But heat can bring strength and encouragement. So here we have this situation uh, uh, as when it comes down to theology pen issues, we stand strong and boldly on biblical truth. When it comes to theology pencil issues, there's love and there's grace that abounds. By the way, speaking of uh, pencil issues, just to give you some example of that, as a church, pragmatically, we don't do adult Sunday school classes here. I grew up with that all my life. We don't do communion weekly here. We don't have altar calls weekly here. We don't have what might be a traditional liturgy kind of structure or traditional monthly ministry support or understand unity as everyone has to be exactly the same. We do plant churches. We do send our people out. We do seek to be real and transparent. We have a very high view of the scripture in the local church. We make disciples to make disciples. We purpose to make ourselves about the fame of the name of Christ, not the fame of our name, right? And I can say different churches can do some things different kinds of ways, and that's okay. That's okay. By the way, speaking of church name change, I look through scripture and I can't find anywhere in scripture where it says you have to have a certain word in your church name. Do you know that? Just keep that in mind. We don't even have church in ours right now. Grace all around on pencil issues. But we stand strong together on pen issues. I'm gonna finish with this. Back in my business days, 
um, we had a small medical device company with my brother, and we had this uh, one device, it was a platelet agitator that would, uh, had a motor in it, and the motor in it uh, brought us discouragement. It brought us discouragement because uh, we began seeing it wasn't lasting as long as we wanted for that motor to last. It wasn't strong enough, and we got discouraged by that. And so we would, came to learn that as we studied this motor that we had to do some work on it. So we unscrewed the casing on that motor and we pulled that motor apart, casing off, and then we pulled all the gears out, we stripped all the grease out, and, and then we took the main shaft of the gear and we pulled the sh gear shaft off and we put it on a brick in our garage <laughs> back in the day. And we would take a torch and we'd run it around all the gears so that some of you engineers know exactly what I'm doing here. And they would run it all around the teeth on that gear and we'd get that gear red hot. I mean, we'd heat that booger all the way up and then we'd take it and we'd dunk it in a can of oil. I could still see it, a Folgers can of oil. <laughs> and then we would do that, but, but you can't to harden it. But you can't leave it like that because now it's brittle. Now you have to anneal it. So now you have to apply a different kind of heat and you have to put it in an oven for a certain length of time at a certain temperature to strengthen it. And then after that, you press it back onto the shaft and then we had to take some heat at the shaft where it was and apply that heat around and silver solder it in. So now we had a strong uh, gear shaft on it. Then we would take the housing and we'd press out the bass bearings on it because they were wimpy. And we replaced it with needle bearings. And there again, you engineers know what I'm talking about. And, and then we... We would put the gears back in along with that main shaft gear back in and we put in a lot better oil because that wimpy oil would just get hot and it would leak out over time and that's annoying when you got uh, oil all over your laboratory desk and, and so we would do that and seal around the edges and put it back in and it encouraged us. Why? Because that motor, after taking it apart, applying some heat, reworking it and repacking it and then putting it back together, we had a stud motor now that would last and do what it was supposed to do far better, far superior than it was before. And might I say that's oftentimes what God does with us and what God does with his people. Sometimes the Lord has to kind of unscrew us, take us apart, apply some heat, and then put us back together, strengthened and encouraged. So Lord, I pray that that would be what happens here among us. God, I would pray that would be what takes place with your people all around us, churches around as well, that you would do a work among and in us that is only something that you can do. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your incredible patience with us. And God, I thank you for applying heat into our life at times. Strategically, timely, just the right temperature to do the right kinds of things because you don't want to burn us up. You want to strengthen us. And God, we have a hard time receiving heat. We have a hard time dealing with things like that. And God, I pray that we would be a people that seek to bring unity, that seek to love, that seek to honor your name. And Father, I also pray that we would be a people in a church that stands strong on what is true. When it comes to pencil, pen theology issues, God, we hold to them because they are true. Use your word in our lives, I pray, in Christ's name.